You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Take a seat. So good to uh, be here with you all this morning. I see a couple of people I haven't met yet, so let me introduce myself. My name is Jake, and I'm so glad that you are with us. Uh, this morning's already been a fun Sunday. Right? We can't beat kids singing, but uh, in addition to that, we have a really big announcement that we're going to make at the end of this service. And so uh, many of y'all probably got an email about saying there's a big announcement. Well, that's, that's actually happening, and we'll, we'll do that at the end. I'm going to make you wait a little bit longer for that. But I'm going to attempt to make this a slightly shorter sermon, not a lot shorter because uh, it's me and because it's a, an important topic, but I'm going to try to definitely carve out that last kind of 10 minutes for this big announcement. But uh, I'm excited about this message this morning because we're continuing our series in Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, and we're coming to a passage where Jesus tells us his, basically his view, his attitude, his relationship to Scripture. And if you've ever wondered, like, okay, what's Jesus think about uh, uh, Jewish scriptures or what we call the Old Testament? Like, you're in luck. You're going to get to find out right here. You're going to see, see what he has to say. And like I said, this is an important topic because for many of us, uh, for many people today, and perhaps for many of us, I should say, um, we, have, we have a problem with the Bible, I mean, to be honest. So we, we, some of us uh, just find it really boring, right? And so, like, it takes a lot of discipline just to get ourselves to actually read it. For others of you, you, you try reading it, but you just kind of get lost in it. You, you have a hard time understanding it. You're not really sure how to read it. And then for others, uh, you feel like you do understand it, and that's the problem. Because there's stuff in it that you don't like, that you like rubs you wrong, or like you think, okay, this is just radically at, at odds with our cultural moment, and so you don't know what to do with that, and you, you, just want, you just want to put it aside. So for any of those reasons, or perhaps for many more, we have this temptation to just set aside the Word of God, to ignore it or to disregard it. But in this passage that Barry just read for us, what Jesus says is he says, hey, that's not my attitude towards Scripture. That's not my attitude. It's not my relationship with it at all. And he says, if you're going to be great in the kingdom of heaven, that can't be your attitude, your relationship with it either. And that's a big deal. Well, that's a pretty significant statement because if you remember, Jesus came to initiate the kingdom of heaven. Right? I mean, if you remember, like, that's what we talked about a month ago. I know it's been a little bit of time, or I think back a whole month, but remember how Matthew summed up Jesus' entire message and really kind of his whole ministry? He did it in, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, when it says this. Boom. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Like this is like from that time on. What's sum it up, Matthew? One what what did he begin to preach? That the kingdom of heaven is near. And if you remember, like what's the kingdom of heaven? Because that's you know it feels like kind of an abstract, kind of ambiguous thought. Like, what is that? Well, the simple definition of the kingdom of heaven is that the kingdom of heaven is where the king's will is accomplished or carried out. That the kingdom, what marks the, the boundaries of the kingdom is as far as where the king's will is carried out. That's the kingdom of heaven. And so the kingdom of heaven is where God, who is the king, he gets his way and everything is as he intended it to be, which is how it was supposed to be. And that's a beautiful thing because where God's will is done, relationships are whole 
and healthy. And there's justice. And there's equity. And there's love. And there's joy. And there's peace. And Jesus says, this is what I have come to bring, to initiate. The kingdom of heaven is near. And if you're going to be great in the kingdom, then you have to. It's important to relate to the scripture the way that I do. And so I want to look at what that looks like for us. And so uh, we're going to begin in verse 17. We're just going to kind of walk through this and see what Jesus has to say, okay? So uh, verse 17 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And uh, now, a couple of things, a couple of observations from this. First is, this phrase, law and the prophets, was a term that they used in, in Jesus' day and before Jesus' day to refer to the entirety of the Jewish scriptures or what we know as the Old Testament. And so this phrase, that's what they meant. So this is what was meant by it. So when Jesus said this, everyone was thinking, okay, the entirety of the Jewish scriptures is what Jesus is talking about. And he says, I haven't come to abolish them. And by that word abolish basically just means to, can mean to destroy or to disregard or to disrespect. He says, that's not what I've come to do. No, I've come to fulfill them. And that's a very interesting word, isn't it? Because what's the opposite of to abolish, right? You would think, okay, the opposite of that would be maybe to maintain or perhaps even to promote. But that's not what Jesus says, is it? Now, he says, I've come to fulfill it. And that word that we translate fulfill in the Greek is the word pleuroo. And it is basically this kind of fascinating word that can mean these different things. It, it can either mean to bring to realization or to, co to make complete or to fill up. Now, think of, just picture real quick. You're on the mountainside. You're listening to Jesus' teaching. And he starts talking about first about how, like, his kingdom, right? He says, this is what I've come to bring. And so he's the whole Sermon on the Mount. It's all about how to live. It's like his manifesto, how to live as citizens of the kingdom. And he starts, he begins, if you remember, by talking about who's blessed in his kingdom. And it's not who you expect to be blessed. It's not who the world says is blessed. It's completely upside down. It's the, it's the poor in spirit. It's the, the meek. It's the persecuted. And then he moves on and he says, okay, let me talk, talk about what, the, what your role is in the kingdom. Like citizens of the kingdom, here's who you are. You are you're the salt of the earth. And you're the light of the world. Like your, your role as citizens of the kingdom is to give people a taste of and a view into the kingdom of heaven. Where, what, what it looks like when God's will is done. And then, having said that, he starts, he says this. And it's like, okay, well, Jesus, well, what are you talking about? Well, what he's going to do in this section is he's going to tell us how to live as citizens in his kingdom, how to be salt and light, like what it actually looks like. He's going to go from here into like six different commands, and he's going to say, this is the way to live, is salt and light. But before he does that, he just kind of takes a step back and says, I want you to know that I haven't come to to do away with, to abolish, to set aside everything that God has said up to this point. Like what I'm about to say, I'm not, I'm not detaching or I'm not coming up with something that's, that's not in line with God's word. No, instead, I've come to fulfill it. And the people on that mountainside are thinking, 
what are you, Jesus, what are you talking about? What do you mean, fulfill it? But as confused as those people must have been on that day, Jesus picks this word because it perfectly describes his relationship to the Old Testament. Because Jesus really did come to fulfill the Old Testament scriptures by bringing into realization, by completing it, by filling up what it lacked. And let me explain what I mean by that. And I'm going to nerd out on you because I think this is, this is pretty fascinating, okay? First, Jesus came, I think Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets by bringing them to realization. And this idea is probably the clearest because it's, this is what we think of when we think about Jesus fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. Like, in fact, in the book of Matthew, before chapter 5, where we are right now, he's already seven times in the first four chapters talked about how Jesus fulfilled or was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And then after the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew will continue to bring this up over and over and over again. Like, he'll just, he'll be telling a story about something that Jesus did, and then he'll stop and Matthew will address the reader and say, oh, and by the way, when Jesus did this, it fulfilled what Isaiah said or what Hosea said or what, you know, and just kind of give, and then he'll quote the scripture. Like, he's showing over and over again that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament in that he brought to realization Old Testament prophecy, what the prophets said the Messiah would do. So that's the first way that Jesus fulfilled the Jewish scriptures. But it doesn't stop there. Not only did he bring, it to real, bring them to realization, but he also brought them to completion or he completed them. And here's what I mean by that. It's really two things. The first is this. Um, he completed them by, bringing, by being the only one who kept the law perfectly that he completely obeyed God's law in full by living the perfect, sinless life that we were all meant to live, that none of us have lived, that he lived perfectly for us, this perfect life. He completed the law. He completely obeyed it. And because he did that, as a result, he brought entire parts of Scripture to completion. Like, that's the second way that he completed them. Here's what I mean by that. Do you ever wonder why we don't sacrifice a lamb on the Day of Atonement? Do you ever wonder why we don't have to keep all of the, the purification or cleanliness, cleanliness laws, clean laws of the Old Testament? It's because of Jesus. It's because he brought them to completion. I love how Tim Keller says this. He says, uh, we don't observe the clean laws of the Old Testament because Jesus is our cleanliness. For the, chosen, for the clean laws were all about him. And the reason we don't observe the sacrificial system any longer is because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice to which they all, all pointed. And because of his sacrifice, we don't have to do them any longer. My friends, entire categories of the law are no longer in effect now because in Jesus they are complete. For those things were like placeholders waiting for or signposts pointing towards him, the one who would keep the law in full for us and then die to atone for our sins and make us forever clean before God. But not only that, 
Not only did Jesus fulfill Scripture by bringing them to realization and to bring them to completion, but he also filled up what they lacked. And you think, okay, well, how did the law and the prophets lack something? What, what would they have lacked? Well, they were lacking in their ability to make people faithful to God's will or to the king's will. See, the Old Testament revealed that uh, revealed who God is and what he's like and what he had done and how he said to live, but it lacked the power to cause anyone to live that way. And so like, so like when God forms the covenant with the, with the Israelites at Mount Sinai, and he tells them, okay, here's how to live. He gives them the law, right? And, the, and he says, if you do this, if you keep my commands, then I will bless you. And all the people say, We're, we'll do it, God. We will, we will obey. And then what happens? They don't obey, right? I mean, they just fail miserably with that. <laughs> Why? Well, it's because they lacked the ability. They, they lacked the ability to, uh, to enable and empower, because the law lacked the ability to enable and, and empower people to keep it. Which is why later in the prophets, like in Jeremiah chapter 31, and Ezekiel chapter 36, God promises a day when he will make a new covenant that will address what the old covenant lacked. For example, in Jeremiah chapter 31, it's, he says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah, and it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant, referring to the new covenant, I will make with people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it on their hearts, and they will be, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. See, friends, that's language of inward transformation. I'm not writing the law on a stone tablet this time. I am writing it on their hearts. I'm putting it in their minds. I'm, trans, I'm transforming them in this new covenant. I'm going to fill up what the law lacked because it lacked the power and the, it lacked giving, empowering people and giving them the ability to actually keep it. And friends, that's... Uh, and then in addition to that, in Ezekiel chapter 36, not only does Jesus say that, I got does the Father say, now I'm going to give you a new covenant where you get a new heart, but I'm also, and this is a big deal, I'm going to place my spirit within you. And friends, this is what Jesus came to fulfill. For Jesus instituted the new covenant. That through his death and resurrection, Jesus made a way for all of us who trust in him to be born again and be given a new heart and with a new disposition, and be indwelt by his spirit, resulting in us both being able to be enabled and empowered to live according to God's will, that he filled in what the law lacked, making it possible to truly live as faithful citizens of God's kingdom. 
And so Jesus says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Like, why would I abolish them? They point to me. They tell of me. They tell of what I've come to do. They are realized in me. They find their completion in me. They feel, I fill in what they lack. Like, it's, how awesome is that? Like, that's Jesus' relationship to Scripture. And that, that says something about the nature of Scripture. Like, this isn't just mankind coming up with some ideas like, oh, let's, let's tell people that they have to not murder. That's a good one. And, and like, this is all made, like, no, this, is, this points to the inspiration of Scripture that all of the Old Testament, written over a very long period of time by lots of different people, all tell this unified story pointing to Jesus. See, this is Jesus, this is Jesus saying, oh, uh, why I haven't come to abolish it. And then he doubles down on that idea. Uh, in verse 18, he says, For truly I tell you, which, by the way, is just like this little catchphrase that Jesus uses like 30 times in the book of Matthew. It's, it, it's his way of saying, hey, hey, uh, pay, pay attention, because what I'm about to say is really important, but it, it might surprise you. And then he says, okay, truly I tell you, uh, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And this is Jesus' way of saying that everything in Scripture, down to its smallest detail, that literally the smallest letter will last until everything is accomplished. Now, two important things to point out to you from this. The first is, again, this is another statement that I think really points to Jesus' confidence in the inspiration and the trustworthiness of Scripture. For if Scripture will last until heaven and earth disappear, then it's not a human product that it has a divine source, that it is, as uh, the Apostle Paul would describe it, uh, God-breathed, inspired by God. And it's trustworthy because it's from God and therefore it's unchanging. Like nothing is disappearing from it, not even the smallest letter. The second thing that I think is really fascinating about this statement is this. Um, when Jesus says scripture will last until everything is accomplished, that word accomplished, again, is this kind of wild word for the Greek here, uh, can be translated until everything is accomplished or until it all happens or until it all comes true. And again, put yourself on the mountainside when Jesus is teaching and he says this, and you have to be thinking, wait, wait. Wait, Jesus, until it's like, until what's accomplished, right? Or, uh, until what happens? Until, until what comes true? But the answer is, until the kingdom of heaven has come in full. Until the restoration of the world has come true. For that's what Jesus had come to initiate and ultimately what he will bring about. And that, according to Jesus, is what the entire Old Testament Jewish scriptures have been pointing forward to. It had been pointing forward 
to him and what he would do, what he would accomplish. Great uh, theologian, author, N.T. Wright, puts it this way. He says, Jesus is the Word made flesh. Who he was and is and what he accomplished are to be understood in the light of what Scripture had said. That when he spoke of Scripture needing to be fulfilled, he was not simply envisioning himself doing a few scattered and random acts which corresponded to various distant and detached prophetic sayings. He was thinking of the entire storyline at last coming to fruition and of an entire world of hints and shadows now coming to plain statement and full light. So, what is Jesus' view of Scripture? You say, well, it's inspired, and it's trustworthy, and unchanging, and it points to him. It's fulfilled in him. And so it's not to be written off, and it's not to be disregarded or dismissed by him or by us, which is the point that he makes next. We keep reading in verse 19, he says, therefore, like in in light of everything I just said, therefore, if anyone, which means anyone, okay, just in case you're fuzzy on that, uh, anyone who sets aside, and this Greek word for sets aside is luo, and it uh, can be translated to set aside, or to relax, or to loosen up a bit. So anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And this is a play on words here. Do you see that? That if anyone who sets aside the least of the commands will be called least. Which means, and this is important for us to see, it's uncomfortable, but it's important for us to see that According to Jesus, there is some kind of reciprocal relationship between how you treat God's word and your experience in the kingdom of heaven. Like that anyone who sets aside or relaxes or just kind of has a laissez-faire attitude where you kind of explain away the bits that you don't like or you kind of just talk, talk your way around them, like he says, if that's the way you read Scripture, then you will be called least. This makes sense. It's uncomfortable, but it makes sense. Because remember, what is the kingdom of heaven? It's, it's where the king's will is carried out. But if you take the king's will, as revealed in Scripture, and you say, well, I'm going to pick and choose what parts I like and what I'm going to disregard and what I'm going to ignore and set aside, then God says, don't expect God, Jesus says, don't expect God to honor you in his kingdom kingdom you will be least but on the flip side notice the next line he says but whoever practices and teaches these commands so you don't you know kind of shrug it off you don't explain it away or pick and choose and you you take them seriously you read god's word and you put it into practice and you obey it and you even like teach others to put it into practice he says that then you will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Like there's this reciprocal relationship. Now, when Jesus says great, 
Uh, don't, don't think of celebrity status. He's not, gonna say, he's not saying you're going to be a Kardashian in the kingdom of heaven, okay? That's not at all what he's getting at. He, he's saying that if you live according to God's will, according to God's word, then you will, over time, grow into a great one. You will become a bright, shining example of all that Jesus and his kingdom stand for. You will be transformed as you put his words into practice. And you will be made whole at a soul level where you're overflowing with love and peace and joy. And you will live out your role as the salt of the earth and as the light of the world. And so Jesus is saying, what you do with God's word really matters. But if that's where Jesus had concluded his little mini-teaching on Scripture, then it would be really easy for us to think that Jesus is just saying, all right, everybody, so make sure you read your Bible every day and you uh, put it into practice, you obey it, and everything, if you do that, then everything will be good. But uh, Jesus isn't done, okay? I'll keep reading. Last verse here, verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness... And this word righteousness, I know we don't really use it in this way much uh, today. So think uh, your goodness or perhaps like the, the purity of your life. It says unless that surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, then you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, in these short verses, like Jesus has already said, some pretty shocking things. But this statement would have really taken the cake for everybody that was there. Because um, in that day, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the, the, they were known for their meticulous passion for and obedience to the Scriptures. And so this would have just floored everyone. And this statement would have caused everyone to ask the, ask the question or just think, like, Jesus... Are you saying that no one is righteous enough to enter the kingdom of heaven? For, like, Jesus, no one obeys the law better than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So you're saying no one can get in the kingdom of heaven. But by this statement, Jesus wasn't saying that people must outperform the Pharisees in obedience. Instead, he was saying that we need an entirely different kind of righteousness in order to enter the kingdom. A righteousness that actually goes deeper than outward behavior. A righteousness that comes from inward transformation, from a new heart. John Stott, great Anglican uh, pastor, says this, Pharisees were content with an external and formal obedience, a rigid conformity to the letter of the law. Jesus teaches us that God's demands are far more radical than this. The righteousness which is pleasing to him is an inward righteousness of mind and motive for the Lord looks on the heart. And friends, that's the type of heart righteousness that Jesus came to make possible by fulfilling the law. That he came to inaugurate 
the new covenant, just as the prophets foresaw. That he came to give us a new heart and to place his spirit within us. See, because of what Jesus accomplished through his life and death and resurrection, he enacted the new covenant so that through faith in him, we can be given that new heart and God's spirit can be placed within us, resulting in us having a righteousness that is greater, that is deeper than the Pharisees, enabling us and empowering us to enter his kingdom and live as faithful citizens within it. See, friends, this is what Jesus came to make possible by fulfilling the law. And so he says, I'm not getting rid of these. I'm not getting rid of law and prophets. Now, they are of great importance. For they tell of me, they tell of what I've come to do and what I will ultimately accomplish. And they reveal to you who I am, and they reveal to you the will of the king. And so you shouldn't shrug them off either. Read them. Put them into practice. But don't think that by obeying them, you will be made righteous. For I'm the only one who can do that. For I'm the only one who has fulfilled them. So, that's Jesus on Scripture. A couple of things for us to take away from this. First is this. Um, in response, I, I would encourage you to really look deeply into what Jesus has accomplished and to respond with faith. And for some of you here today, that may mean re respond with saving faith. To actually trust for the first time that Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly so that through him you can be made righteous before God. That he lived the perfect life that you were meant to live but haven't. And that he died in your place so that you can have his life. And friends, if you're there and you see that this is what Jesus has accomplished for you, you can tell him right now. You respond in faith right this minute. And just say, Jesus, I believe you did this for me. I believe that you are the righteous and that you died for me. You tell him that. And I believe you rose again to make the way for me to be adopted into your family, to be made new, to be given a new heart, to place your spirit with me. And in that moment, it is so based on what he has accomplished. For some of you, you need to respond in saving faith to what Jesus has done. But for others in here, perhaps most of us in here, the way we need to respond to what Jesus accomplished is a faith that believes again, not for salvation, but in a way for encouragement, for, for renewal, for, for a, a reminder, for you to, to hear that Jesus truly has fulfilled the scriptures and in doing so enacted the new covenant so that we have been given a new heart, that if you believe this, you have a new heart, that your disposition has changed that you are no longer a slave to sin, that you have been set free, that you have the ability to say no to sin, that you are a new creation, that the old is gone, the new has come, and he's given you his spirit, that you can walk in the spirit. 
and live a godly life that you have all you need for life and for godliness. This is what Jesus accomplished in fulfilling the scriptures. And you and I need to be reminded of that so that we will walk in the newness of life. And that perhaps you have an area right now in your life where you, it, it, sin has a grip on you. And you need to respond to what Jesus has accomplished. And you need to walk in the Spirit. And you're going to need help with that. You're going to need encouragement. You can talk to people to help you with that. But friends, you have the ability, not in your own, but because of Jesus. Because of what he's accomplished. That's the first way to respond to this. Think deeply about what Jesus has accomplished for you and respond in faith. The second way to respond here for all of us is this. And you know that this is coming. You know it. It's to read your Bible and put it into practice. And this comes out of verse 19. See, for us, we need to see, like, like, don't set aside God's word. Don't loosen what it says. Don't treat it as unimportant. Instead, may our attitude towards it reflect Jesus' attitude towards it. It's God's word. It points to Jesus. It tells us about him and what he has done, and in it we also find God's will. And so let's read it and put it into practice to live as citizens of his kingdom, that we would be who he says we're meant to be. Salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now listen, this Statement. This doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're going to understand God's word really well when you read it. If you feel lost in it before this message, you probably still feel somewhat lost in it after this message. I get that. It, hopefully, maybe it feels a little less boring to you if you know like, it all points to Jesus and all that. You know, but maybe you still it's going to feel boring. And if you have issues with it, you probably still have issues with it. You probably have issues with a lot of what I said today. I get that. Here's what I want you to hear. Jesus says it's really important. And if he says that, then here, just do, just do that. Just treat it as if it is. Like, don't put it aside. That doesn't mean brush over your issues with it. It means if it's important, then dive into those issues. Like, learn how to read it. Or the parts that you disagree with, read on that. Or even better, we would say, get in a huddle or an MC or talk, speak up in your huddle or your MC, which are our environments in our church where discipleship and community are experienced, and say, okay, this is, I have issues. Can you all help me with this? Because it's important, friends. But as a simple application from what Jesus says here, I would say, open up your Bible and read it. It points to Jesus. He fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures. It's amazing. It's a big deal. So read it and put it into practice. If we do that as citizens of the kingdom, then we will be transformed into great ones that are more and more like our Savior Jesus. As we become more like Jesus, our city will become more like heaven. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.